And I've got to say, um, you know, Howard, Rodney, it would not surprise me in the slightest if pricing is still very, very strong and going to get stronger because the problem is not getting solved today. There is a requirement for a lot more lithia units in the supply chain than the supply chain can currently handle. Arguably, if the capital doesn't start to flow upstream at the right pace, um, pricing is only going to get more extreme and assets are only going to get more expensive. So Ken, you were just, uh, you're back in Perth. You, we met at PDAC last week. And prior to that, you were at the BMO conference with Patriot. But I understand Pilbara was at that conference, not only presenting to investors, but also there as a potential strategic inv investing prospectively in, in other companies. To your point, what do you think on price? And have you started to see uh, investments at the right pace and what's your view on uh, you know where we are in the spodumene and lithium carbonate pricing market now that we've had a thirty to forty percent retracement in the in the China spot price? Not exactly clear where we are on spodumene because the last BMX auction didn't happen because Pilbara did a tolling arrangement. So with that opening, I'll, I'll leave the floor to you. Yeah, thanks, Howard. I'll look utmost respect to to the. Pilbara team, for, for obvious reasons, they're very, very capable people, and I reckon industry leading as it relates to dealing with and understanding the value in the spodumene in the market. So the fact that they've undertaken a, a tolling deal looks to me like a you know a really good move. Why wouldn't you continue to explore all of the sales channels at your disposal to ensure that you're you're maximizing price, that you're finding the marginal buyer. And there's no doubt about it, they've got some leverage in the market because they have available capacity and flexibility as to where they place that product. So good on them, I say, Howard. I think I think all those moves are, are in the right direction. And as I said, a very capable team. Yeah, the price has come off. And of course, equity markets, um, they don't like that. But I, I think for every producer, there's so much more than a short-term game in, in play here. Um, what I shared back in, in uh, the latter part of 2021, and really from even from the second half of 2020, I was really optimistic about the direction that spodumene was going to take because we could see a significant build-out in chemical capacity, but it was happening without any reference to spodumene supply. So it seemed to us um, that at some point in time in the cycle, there was going to be leverage in, in owning the rock, as our peer would say, Chris Ellison. So my view hasn't changed there. I think where there is margin in the supply chain, for the most part, you are going to see that flow upstream to the raw material suppliers because, because that's the biggest and most difficult piece in the puzzle to deliver. And, and bear in mind, the backdrop that I'm within which I'm sharing that feedback is to say I'm thinking about the medium term and the long term in the industry. I would still say there hasn't been enough capital deployed in, in raw materials supply to ensure um, an even distribution of lithium units in the supply chain, uh, neither in the short, medium or the long term. So, yeah, still very optimistic. Howard. But you said mining's the hardest. Um, Elon Musk is saying refining's the hardest, and that's where the margin is. So uh, you are outwardly disagreeing with Elon Musk. Yeah, I, I 
I'd love to know who's advising Elon because I, I couldn't disagree more, basically, with the position that he's taken. Refining capacity is not an issue globally. Sure, there's a concentration of refining capacity in China today, but I'm equally optimistic that that capacity is going to be built out elsewhere around the world. And bear in mind, to build chemical capacity, realistically, something like 18 months to, to 24 months is probably not a bad estimate for building some capacity. But a mine is measured virtually in decades as to the delivery of its capacity. And that mismatch cannot be short, solved short, you know, shortly or in short order. So I feel like he's either a genius talking his own book because he wants us all to believe that the, there is excess raw material or, in fact, he's been poorly advised because, yeah, I, I just cannot agree with, with that thesis. I think the, the problem is, uh, Ken, is in first principles, which is what Elon Musk thinks in, there is lithium everywhere, which no one's disputing. What we're seeing practically on the ground is, as you mentioned, I think 2022, there was less investment upstream than there was in 2021, if that's possible to believe. And everyone says it's everywhere, but I'm not going to fund it and I'm not going to participate in it. So Tesla's not funding it and neither are others. I say, I don't want to be a miner, but it's everywhere and someone else is going to do it. And don't worry, it's everywhere and it's going to, it's going to be presented downstream. So again, I think that that's where the disconnect comes in is that they think someone else will take care of it and they don't, you know, they don't permit anything when they do something and they deal in first principles solving powertrains and, and doing those other things. But mining, as you know, from the coal face, as it were, from the lithium face is much tougher. Yeah, exactly. Um, lithium itself is not rare, but the confluence of events that make for sensible and and timely development are so um, the right location for the product, the right volume, the right quality within the right time frame. That's what's rare, and um, unfortunately, not that well understood by by the end users. And and I've said it before. I, I think the that the the battery makers. And, and to a certain extent, the car makers haven't served themselves well. They haven't really understood the supply chain, pulled it apart, put it back together again and worked out their part to play in ensuring that the product gets delivered at the right time. And unfortunately, um, that means that they're going to have to pay for it in, you know, in kind to make it happen. If yeah, I, could, I think um, if, we, if we wind back the clock a little bit, a lot of the guys can seem to think, well, we'll just turn to the South Korean battery makers or whoever it is. And when EVs were one or 2% of your sales volume, it didn't really matter. They could source something, but I think they've been caught off guard. And now timelines, geopolitics, lots of different things, logistics, everything's come into play now. And suddenly um, it is a lot more, a lot more difficult. And I think the truth is, consumer preference towards EVs has caught the, the world off guard. It's even caught us. I mean, we, we didn't think it was going to go at this rate. I mean, China's over 30% EV penetration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the consumer is genuinely switched on now. And it's a, it's a realistic proposition to consider the purchase of an EV. If you're a car maker, it's a pretty scary thought because they don't really want your existing product and you're not quite ready for the new product to be delivered. So... It's a huge challenge for them. 
the acceleration in consumer adoption is just much faster than you think. And, and we see that. So all the demand, all the surprises have been on the demand side, positive surprises, all the negative surprises have been on the supply side. Western Australia has been a major source of spodumene supply units. Uh, there's all sorts of lithium types. There's brines in South America. There's, you know, these unconventional DLE brines. There's clay and sediment. You left Pilbara. We've talked about Western Australia being crocodile rock. Uh, we've noticed using, again, pop culture references, uh, Crocodile Dundee, you know, a bunch of Aussies coming to North America. Uh, we were lucky enough to be associated with uh, one that came to America, North U.S., in, in Piedmont, you know, in Tazo Arima. But uh, a lot of have followed him into Quebec and Ontario and other places in, in Canada. Canada has had a number of false starts. You say you know, refining's easy, mining's hard, but you've had two companies in Quebec that have failed, you know, trying to do both mining and refining in the past. Uh, a lot of that was cost related, given the competitive advantage um, Western Australia has to the market where all the buyers have been historically in China. You know, that's changing, but why Canada, you know, and is Canada poised to kind of replicate, I guess, for North American, prospectively Europe, you know, what you have with Western Australia kind of going to China. And I know there's some other refineries being built, you know, in Western Australia. Why leave familiar territory? That yeah, yeah. No, I look, it's a logical line of inquiry. Now, I think the... You know, one of the key differences in the you know, first round of, of hard rock supply growth was that, that Western Australia had a ready market available in China. Um, you know, an enormous track record of resource delivery in Western Australia, serving kind of Asia's uh, you know, largest importer of raw materials. And, and that was a well-trodden path. So... If you're going to develop a, a spodumene mine, it's very, very natural for the West Australians to look to China. And, and in fact, we, you know, in part, we were solving their problem because they were starting to build capacity, but without really having raw materials in place. So big tick there. In contrast, the first round of assets being, being developed in North America, I, I think, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, smaller in scale, potentially more difficult to mine. And no, no natural chemical capacity other than the fact that you would ship it to China. So, you know, the combination of those things meant that it was always going to be a harder start. This time around, um, we're seeing the, the rise of North America as a key market for battery raw materials. And now I think it's matched with a, a genuine intent as you say, some of it motivated by Australian interests to get in on the ground in, in North America, but in particular Quebec and, and Ontario, and uh, give it a red hot crack from an exploration point of view. Whilst I don't pretend to be an expert in, in Canada or, or North America, I'm learning that it's a very useful jurisdiction. And actually, to be honest, it, it, it actually feels a lot like working in WA healthy rule of law, if you're doing good quality work, you know you're going to be able to make it make a path forward for a development project, constructive relations with, with First Nations and an environment both at a provincial and federal level 
um, to genuinely see these new supply chains emerge. So all those things represent an attractive proposition personally for me, but I suspect equally for, for many others who are now looking at, at these jurisdictions as being key exploration projects and, and of course, you'd hope future mines. What are the differences? The infrastructure, I mean, there's a lot in Quebec in, in aluminum and, and a few other mining industries, but it, it's not like from an infrastructure point of view and, and logistics, it's not exactly the same as the Pilbara. No, that's true. But if you took out the, the scale that exists in, in, say, iron ore mining in the Pilbara, and you put that aside, actually, the suite of commodities that are being mined start to look really similar to, to Australia, but in particular, Western Australia. It's another one of the world's great mining jurisdictions. I think it's fair to say that because there's, there's a steep history in, in various commodities and then more recently, uh, the battery raw materials and a genuine intent from the, the, the community, you know, that might be, that might be um, First Nations, it might be the provincial government, it might be the federal government, a genuine intent to create these new supply chains and take advantage of their mineral endowment for this new energy economy. So Ken, I mean, if, if you were to compare Western Australia to Quebec or Canada, but Quebec specifically, are there any sort of pros and cons? There's obviously cheap power and that type of thing and in, in in Quebec versus permitting, are there any sort of standouts that come to mind? Yeah, I've noticed a much more much more active participation from government, and, and I think that's true, at, at, as I said, both at a provincial level and a federal level. In Australia, um, state governments and, and federal governments are much more hands-off with the mining industry. There is no such thing, well, not really, such a thing as direct investment, either in the companies or 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 even complementary infrastructure, typically they would try and leave it to, to the individual companies to solve their problems. Contrast in, in Quebec especially, um, I think government's quite active. Funds that are, that are deliberately targeting investment to support mine development and infrastructure development for the mining industry, and, and now a particular interest in, in the new energy economy. So I see that as being a, quite a stark contrast. Um, as to the approvals process, common thread is healthy rule of law, well managed, and and if you're if you're doing high quality work, um, my view today would be you are going to make progress in both jurisdictions. So Quebec and, and Western Australia, I think would, you would say are, are very similar in that regard. On the First Nations front. Uh, yeah, I've been lucky enough to to meet with the Cree, um, including some some of the local family to our project at Corvette, and I've really enjoyed the engagement. Actually, much as I've enjoyed the engagement in Western Australia as well with with traditional owners, I can see a lot of similarities. And and in the end, I think what it comes down to is everybody wants to be treated with respect. As long as you are you are living towards that aim you can look forward to a mutually beneficial relationship. And that, that's an area where I see a similar similarity between the two jurisdictions. So today, yeah, I'm optimistic. And, and the last point I'd make is, um, and this is a, you know, principally it relates to the weather. I hadn't appreciated just how much, you know, water there is, I guess, in, in, in the Northern sort of reaches of Canada. 
as a function of the glacial flow um, historically and, and, and as the snow melts today, of course, there's lots of water around. That has been a barrier to a really fulsome exploration effort. And that's why a company like Patriot, you know, can come along, tie up a new district and, and find, you know, what we believe is going to be a really significant project over the years to come. Um, it seems pretty incredible in this day and age that you can go and poke a hole into a, a new district for lithium that previously wasn't really considered. But I guess I now, having been there, have a better understanding as to why that might happen. Um, it's difficult terrain to get around. Every piece of exploration initially is going to be um, helicopter supported. So it's typically a bit more expensive in Australia. As much as you might be driving up and down sand dunes, at least you can drive. Um, whereas in Canada, you're going to be walking or you're going to be in a helicopter. So, so with that as a backdrop, uh, you might say maybe we should be optimistic that there will be more discoveries. And I think that's that's a distinct possibility. And again, another reason to be to be hopeful that, that they are going to be really important jurisdiction, mining jurisdictions for the North American supply chain. Um, you know, lithium's not rare. Everybody knows that. There's lithium in oil field brines and in solars everywhere. But Western Australia was largely perceived to be uh, is largely perceived to some degree to be picked over by a lot of Australians. And that's why they've come to Canada, which has, you know, had less exploration done. And that's, again, the Crocodile Dundees. There's lots of companies on this Canada Rocks conference. There's a few new ones. and But Patriot was new <laughs> just a year ago. So within the context of, again, the four lithium types, you know, there's sediment. There's lots of tons of sediment known advancing projects for years there's lots of tons of oil field brines there's lots of tons you know in argentina and bolivia etc you know there's this belief that you know there's peak spodumene i think someone talked about maybe in western australia but spodumene has proven itself in the last few years to be the most scalable <clears throat> the most scalable quickest to production, you know, reliable, secure supply chain, but also sustainable. Like it's been given a knock that everyone, you know, points out if you do the life cycle assessments that the dirtiest is, you know, spodumene from Western Australia going into China. A lot of that is because the China grid is dirty. But what, what do you what do you think about, you know, there's oh, there's been narrative shifts within the lithium industry. There was a big wave of interest in in these DLE plays a couple of years ago, and Quebec, which was like the most hated jurisdiction for lithium based on the failures, is now essentially the hottest market. Uh, Quebec and and Ontario, uh, based on high grade discoveries, you know, taking place. So, how do you see, I guess, Canada's role from a, a, a spodumene point of view we, we talk about the north american lithium triangle you know in contrast to the south american lithium triangle uh being from like north carolina with you know albemarle's king's mountain and piedmont to everything that's happening in quebec to everything that's happening in ontario as, as becoming perhaps the most reliable scalable secure sustainable way to get lithium units into both North America and, and Europe. I mean, so what do you think about all of that? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm 
fundamentally agreeing with just about everything you said there, um, Howard. I, I think there's every prospect that the emerging North American supply chain becomes a low carbon footprint supply chain, even though people might, you know, poo-poo the the idea that hard rock can be low a low carbon footprint supply chain. Those that seek to call out the hard rock supply chain as being a high carbon footprint solution are calling it too early, Howard, because there is so much more innovation to come that's going to lower the car, you know, fundamentally lower the carbon footprint in the supply chain. And I would simply point to, to the work that Pilbara Minerals is doing on, on the midstream product solution as being a really good example. Um, the idea that you mine hard rock as a five to six percent concentrate, you ship it to China, and 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 it and an energy is expended, a carbon intensive energy is expended to produce a, a battery grade product, is probably going to be old news in not too many years' time because there will be much smarter supply chain solutions that materially lower. The carbon footprint in the supply chain. So, so that's just one example. Um, you've highlighted the Quebec, um, uh, you know, uh, renewable energy solution in the form of the Quebec Hydro scheme. That is an amazing piece of infrastructure, providing incredibly low cost power and, of course, carbon carbon friendly solutions for for future mining efforts. All of that is going to change the game. And I don't think that in five to 10 years' time, we're really going to be talking about hard rock being a high carbon footprint. In fact, I'd argue it's going to be ultra competitive. We're going to be interviewing Blair Way for Patriot. But as you look at the landscape, I'm sure you were approached with a lot of opportunities while you're at Pilbara. Um, and since you left Pilbara, if you could just talk about the region, that there's a lot of activity in the James Bay region in Quebec generally. So Winsome Resources, which we've been associated with, is starting to make an interesting discovery. There's another company on this panel, uh, Champion, Idaho Champion, that, that's in between Patriot and Winsome. But you have Allchem, you know, which owns 100% of their asset, you know, Namaska, a, a number of critical elements. Could you speak specifically to the kind of the James Bay exploration potential, right, and development potential? Because as of now, you know, the only mines are, <laughs> is Sayana Piedmont, you know, coming on stream, and that's um, more south in the Valdor region. Um, yeah, so just talk about the exploration potential and then the development potential in James Bay. Yeah, I think there's two, there's two sort of distinct opportunities. There's the one that says... The James Bay area is relatively underexplored, and and I've got to say that's one of the things that surprised me about getting involved there. There is still a lot of ground to be picked over in a way that it's probably not possible in in say Western Australia, and that's because of the the you know that earlier commentary about it. It's it's relatively inaccessible. It's difficult to to, to travel across that terrain. There's a lot of water around, and you need helicopter supported exploration. So those things mean that there hasn't been enough geos crawling all over the ground. Therefore, there's opportunity. So that's part one. Part two is a bit more specific. It's that not only, only is there new discoveries, but they are new discoveries of scale. And, and, and they look completely different to the, the historical norm in North America. Um, really, really significant widths 
in 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 um, in spodumene dominant pegmatites. So they're not squibby little little pegmatites. They're a hundred meter wide things, which which is important. Um, having having started Pilgangora, I can tell you, you don't really want to mine something that's small. You want to mine something that's big because that's going to be the easiest thing to process. Uh, and then surface. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, you've got the, when you get into a little bit more detail, you've got, you know, what does the mineralization look like? And, and that sort of takes you into a region that's just off the charts. The, um, the spodumene crystal development uh, that I've seen in, in, well, I'm assuming the Corvette discovery, of course, but also potentially Winsome is it's, 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 it's an incredible, um, crystal structure. It's, it's measured in, in centimeters and meters, not in micrometers and millimeters. You know, it's, it's really, um, really incredible to see and, and tells you that you've got a very, very fertile system. So, as I said, in summary, Huge exploration potential, and I think the Corvette discovery is as good an example as that are you going to, as you're going to get. Um, and then when you start to look at the the minutiae of the discovery, you've got unbelievable widths of pegmatite near surface and incredibly well developed spodumene crystal structure. So all those things make for um, you know a pleasure from an exploration and and at a future development point of view. In Matt Fernley's commentary, we were trying to figure out how, how to value hard rock companies and uh, Patriot has gone. It's in that exploration speculation phase. They haven't announced yet a resource, you know, fantastic intercepts, beautiful. But how does one, if you're a viewer of this program um, and you see a, a stock chart like that, like I didn't buy it, you know, I missed it. I had problems last year. But, uh, you know, when I was first made aware of this, um, you know, but then it doubled, you know, and then it doubled again, and then it doubled again. So uh, how do we think about val uh, looking at a, a dis uh, you know, a, a, a pre-production, pre-resource unicorn, you know, and, and, you know, relative to other, uh, you know, just how do you think about those things? You came in, obviously, in May or June of last year at a, at a lower entry price once you identified um you know that there was something special there but how should we think about valuation relative to peers that are many many years advanced in the permitting process and heading toward production like frontier and critical elements etc are smaller market caps than than patriot yeah yeah no again a really logical line of inquiry i guess I'd go back to an earlier comment where I sort of said the confluence of events that that creates not even just a lithium mine, but a special lithium mine is very rare. Um, I think we might have talked about this once before, Howard. I, I referred to the concept of a mega mine in the in the hard rock lithium world. Gigamine. Um, something that <laughs> gigamine, there you go. So we need the gigamines to match the gigafactories, basically. And they are rare. So even in as good a jurisdiction as Western Australia, you've really only got four mines or four potential mines um, that that match that, you know, what I think of as being giga scale. So there's Wajana, Pilgangura, uh, Greenbushes, of course, and, and maybe you throw in the same category, Mount Holland, the, the SQM um, West Farmers Development Project. 
and then from there you step down into the the sort of lesser lights so so that's a jurisdiction that's been well picked over typically been explored for for lots of other things tin tantalum the pegmatites were known about for a long time but really there was only four mass scale pegmatites and and that represents the challenge and that's why those mines are the really valuable mines um, you're into a, a scale that takes you into completely different territory that underwrites huge chemical developments for multi-decades. The confluence that delivers those events is very rare, and that's why those mines are very, very valuable. Okay, great. Ken, thank you very much. Uh, again, as always, a pleasure to meet you last week and and talk to you, you know, through the screen and, uh, you know, excited to have you participate in our first ever conference. My pleasure, Howard, Rodney, great to be with you guys and keep up the good work.